Many of you know that both of my daughters are very much into sports, which is not too surprising since both Suzanne and I um, were into sports when we were in high school and then into college. But in terms of Emily and Allie's love for basketball, that is all Suzanne. That is one of the sports that I just never got into and have never played in any sort of organized way. Uh, But I've come to really enjoy watching basketball and cheering for them, Uh, and that's because I spent a lot of time watching basketball, uh, both when Suzanne was in college and then Emily and Allie when they've been playing when they're in high school. Well, yesterday was Allie's uh, final game of her JV season, and uh, Allie did really well. Uh, She's had a really good season. She worked very hard during the off-season and then throughout the season itself. She's had some great coaches, uh, as well as an aunt and a mother who played basketball in college, and then a grandfather who is just as passionate as anyone is about basketball and has played quite a bit himself. And so between that and the coaches that she's had, she's just had all these resources around her uh, to help her know all that she needs to know about the various aspects of the game. But of course, it's one thing to know it and another thing to actually do it. And this year, Allie did it, and that's why she had such a good season. So what's my point, other than giving me an excuse to... Uh, kind of talk about Allie's basketball a little bit. My point is this. It's one thing for us to know something, but it is another thing for us to actually do it. All of the training and coaching and equipping in the world doesn't actually do us any good unless we actually go out there and do it, right? Hold on to that thought for just a moment. Today, we are coming to the end of our series from the Old Testament book of Joshua, a book in which we have seen how Joshua led the Israelites as they entered and then claimed the land of Canaan, a book that shows, has showed us how God was faithful to keeping one of the great promises that he made to Abraham, the provision of a great homeland for his descendants, a book that God is designed to still speak to us today. Well, this morning, we are going to end our series in Joshua. And as we do that, we are also going to see the end of Joshua. Before we're done this morning, we're going to put Joshua in the ground. Bringing to an end the life of one of Israel's greatest and most faithful leaders. But before we do that, we're going to see Joshua gather the people together one last time while he is still alive. Last week, we saw him gather the people together on a previous occasion because he wanted to share with them the 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 most important wisdom that he could, wisdom that he had gained through many years of life and experience. The wisdom was this. It was the secret of life, which he explained to them, was found in being steadfastly loyal to Yahweh. Well, this morning, as he gathers them this one last time, he's going to tell them, it's one thing to know this, but it's another thing to actually do it. 
So this morning we are going to see, we're going to see Joshua gather the people together one last time. We're going to hear him tell them that it is time for them to make a decision. It is decision time. It is time for them to decide where they are going to put their greatest love and loyalty. And we're going to discover why it is that Joshua questioned their commitment to actually do this. And maybe why we need to question ours as well. If you've got a Bible, open up to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, grab one of those red Bibles in front of you there. And if you're using one of our red Bibles, we're going to be on page 366, Joshua 24. So Joshua gathered all the people together one last time. Look at verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. You might remember that when Joshua had gathered the people last time, they gathered at Shiloh, the location of the tabernacle, and it was this, this was the central place of worship for the Israelites, for all the tribes. But this time, Joshua is gathering everybody at a location a bit further to the north, at the city of Shechem, or at the location of Shechem. This was a location that was full of significance in Israel's history. This is where Abraham had built an altar when he had first entered into the promised land. It was at Shechem that Jacob had bought land after spending years in exile living with his father Laban. And this is where Joshua and the Israelites had renewed their covenant with God when they had first and finally entered into the promised land. And now that Joshua is nearing the end of his life, he has gathered everybody together at Shechem one final time. See, this is a place where covenants, where commitments are made. And for his final act as the leader of the Israelites, Joshua intends to call them to renew their covenantal commitment to Yahweh. To renew their relationship with him, with this God who had long promised them this land and had now established them in it. Joshua begins by reminding them where it all began with Abraham. Look at verse 2. Once the people had ascended, had assembled, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates, and I led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what <clears throat> I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Then I brought your people out when I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help 
And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, the son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. And so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan, and you came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave a land So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. And you live in them, and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Joshua begins by summarizing everything that has led up to where they are now. While Abraham had still been living beyond the Euphrates River and Haran and worshiping other gods, Yahweh had made him an offer that he could not refuse, a series of great promises that would come true if if Abraham would trust and follow him. He promised him a great name, a great nation, a great homeland, and a great blessing that would be for all people. And Abraham decided to pledge his love and loyalty to Yahweh and follow And God proved faithful to these promises. He gave Abraham a son, Isaac, Isaac a son, Jacob, and Jacob he gave many sons. When they were later on enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, God sent Moses and Aaron to rescue them. God split the Red Sea in order to let them come through and have safe passage, and then he brought that same sea down on Pharaoh's army to destroy it. God enabled them to face and defeat every enemy and army that they faced. No one could stand against them because Yahweh was determined to bless them and carry out his great unstoppable plan. Neither the citizens of Jericho nor the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, or the Jebusites could stop them because Yahweh fought for them. And through Yahweh's provision and blessing, Joshua and the people inherited not only the land, but also cities they had not built and harvests they had not sown themselves. And so with all of this evidence, no one could reasonably question Yahweh had been good, faithful, and shown himself to be so powerful. And so having reminded them of all of this, Joshua now says to the Israelites assembled there before him, it's decision time. Time to decide to fully commit to Yahweh, just as he has so fully committed himself to you. In fact, this is the reason that Joshua has gathered them together this last time. Listen to how it is that Joshua challenges the Israelites. So this is verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. 
Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So for the Israelites, this is decision time. It's time for them to decide who it is that they're going to serve, who it is that they are going to follow. Joshua's reminded them of who Yahweh is and what he has done for them and and for all of their ancestors. He's reminded them of what his plans are for them going into the future. God intends to make them a specially chosen people who will be his representatives there here in the world. Secure in this homeland that he has given to them designed to be a source of blessing for all nations. But it is not enough for them just to know all that God has done and to know all that God has for them. They also need to do it. They need to embrace it. To actually experience all of these blessings that God has for them, they need to fully commit to him. As we look at this text, I wonder for some of you here this morning, it's decision time. Maybe you've spent weeks, months, maybe even years learning about Yahweh, about this God who's revealed to us in the scriptures. You've heard, you've read about the life and ministry of Jesus. You've learned all about why our world is both beautiful and profoundly broken. You've discovered what it is that the Bible says about you, about who we are, that we are people made in the image of God, but we are also a people estranged from God because of our sin and brokenness. You've heard about how Jesus has lived and died and rose again for the forgiveness of the sins. But see, the thing is, all of that understanding and all of that knowledge does not do you one bit of good until you actually pledge your love and loyalty to him. It is decision time. Because it is one thing to know it. It is entirely another to actually do it. See, what Joshua has said to the Israelites, this text is saying to us today, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. If this morning is your decision time, this is a decision that you can make, and here's how you do it. Here's what it takes. You've got to begin by acknowledging that you are broken in ways that you cannot fix, that you are broken in ways that have separated you from God who has made you. 
You got to believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. And then you got to commit to him to follow him as your true rescuer king. Acknowledge your brokenness, believe who Jesus is, and commit to following him. And if you do that, then you are truly saved. And if that's a conversation that you need to have with God this morning, we're going to have time when you can do that a little bit later on in the service. But before that, I want to show you what happened I want to show you what happened when Joshua told the people that it was decision time. Here's how the people respond to to Joshua's instructions or challenge to them. Look at verse 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. So the Israelites here, they declare that they have decided. They're all in. They assure Joshua that they are in fact committed to to serving and to worshiping Yahweh. I mean, by all appearances, their response here seems to be spot on, right? Which is what makes Joshua's response to them so intriguing. Look at verse 19. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. So here, despite the Israelites' stated commitment to worship and to serve Yahweh, we see here that Joshua remains skeptical. See, what seems to be happening here is that Joshua is questioning that they are really all in on this challenge that he's presented to them. He isn't so much doubting that they will, in fact, worship and serve Yahweh as he suspects that they're also going to keep bowing down to other foreign gods at the same time. See, the Israelites, they had options. There were all those other gods that they could worship and follow, the far-off gods that Abraham's 
ancestors had worshipped before God had followed, had called to him. There were the more local gods of the Amorites and the other Canaanite peoples who lived all around them. And Joshua's concern is that the Israelites were now going to try to divide their loyalties. They were going to worship Yahweh, yes, because Yahweh had given them all this great land and a place to live and protected them and fought for them. But Joshua suspected that they were still also going to bend the knee and try to please these other gods that were worshipped all around them. This, however, is a problem because Yahweh, who is the lone, uncreated creator God of all things, does not share worship with anyone or anything else. Because he and only he, as the one who has created all things, is truly worthy of worship. For some others of us this morning, it's over this that we need to make a decision. I'm talking about people who have already pledged love and loyalty to Yahweh. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are still other gods that we bow to. Now, maybe that whole idea just seems preposterous to you. You're thinking, we don't have other gods to worry about. We are modern and sophisticated people. But see, you would be wrong. Ancient peoples, like the Canaanites, they gave their gods names, like Baal, who was the god of storms. Kothar, the god of craftsmanship. Dagon, the god of fertility. Eshmun, the god of health. Kathirat, the goddess of marriage and pregnancy. Astarte, the, the goddess of beauty, and I could go on. Now, we don't know these gods by those names, but you'd better believe that they still exist and that they're regularly worshipped. Power. Wealth. Success, beauty, pleasure. These are gods that are as alive and real today as they were when Joshua warned the Israelites back then. And they are just as likely to divide our loyalty to Yahweh today as they were to divide the loyalties of the Israelites in their day. Let's look at this a little bit closer. A God is basically anything that we believe is necessary in order to have a successful life. It's anything that we believe that we must have in order to be happy. Or to put it more grimly, it's anything that if lacking in our lives that we believe will make life not worth actually living. So money and wealth they become gods when we believe them to be the necessary measures of success in this life. Sex and pleasure, they become gods when we believe that indulging in them is necessary for our happiness. Fame and power are gods when we find ourselves doing whatever is necessary in order to gain them or to keep them. 
I'd ask you this morning to consider which of these small g gods do you find yourself tempted by? What is the power to draw you away from your devotion to Yahweh? What has the potential to divide your loyalty to him above all others? Here's some questions to, to help you answer that. What do you most fear losing? And what do you imagine your life would be like if you did? Whatever that is, has the potential to become a God in your life. When do you find that you are most tempted to tell a lie? Because whatever that lie is intended to protect is probably something that you've decided that you need to bend your knee to. When is it most difficult for you to be loving or hardest for you to obey God? Whatever those areas are, are the domains of your gods. See, whatever is able to control us is our God. And the thing is, even what is good can be turned into a God. All you have to do is drop the O. But in all seriousness, this happens, this can happen anytime we allow something good to then become something ultimate for us. So, for example, good health, it's a blessing. But it becomes a God when we believe it necessary in order for our life to actually be worth living. Having children, it's a very good thing, but it becomes a God when we believe that we cannot be happy if we don't have them. Developing a good reputation is a good thing, but it becomes a God when we figure out that we're willing to do anything in order to protect it. See, as soon as we start believing that any of these things are necessary things in order for our lives to have meaning and significance and happiness, then we are at risk of dividing our loyalty and betraying our allegiance to Yahweh, the one true God. Joshua said to the Israelites, God is saying to us today, decide to put away your other gods and yield your heart wholly to the Lord. Let's finish the text. In the end, Israelites are sufficiently insistent that they are committed to Yahweh above all others. And so Joshua acknowledges their decision, as we saw and he acknowledges it with a covenant ceremony, a formal renewal of their commitment to Yahweh. He makes record of this covenant renewal in the book of the law, and then he actually sets up a witness stone to be a perpetual reminder to them and to everybody after them of this decision that they've made on this day. Look at verse 25. 
On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And then he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And then Joshua dismissed the people for the very last time, each to their own inheritance. And so this covenant renewal is Joshua's final recorded act as Israel's leader. And then the book of Joshua concludes with two deaths and three burials. Verse 29. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, Joseph from the book of Genesis, Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. And this became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And then Eliezer, the son of Aaron, this would be the high priest, the son of Aaron died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. These deaths and these burials recorded at the end of the book of Joshua are intended to bring both closure and connection. Closure to the events of this book, but also a connection to everything that has come in the Bible up to this point. These are important reminders that that everything that we have learned and experienced in the book of Joshua is all part of the much bigger and, and truly unstoppable plan that God has to rescue and to redeem a people for himself a people and a plan that we are also invited to be a part of. But only if we can say with Joshua, as for me and my household, we have decided to serve the Lord. See, it is only in coming to know and follow the God who created the world, this God who's revealed to us some revealed himself to us in the Bible, that we are, in fact, able to find the significance and purpose and meaning in our lives that we all long for. See, as human beings, we are made in the image of God, and so it is only in following him and in seeking to be like him that we will find the significance and purpose and meaning that we have actually been made for. One of the prohibitions that we find in the Old Testament is a prohibition against making idols of Yahweh. 
making visible representations of of the God of the Bible out of wood or stone or precious metals. This is something which is strictly forbidden. I mean, not only would any such image be wholly inadequate, but I also wonder if part of it is that God has already made the only images of himself he ever intended to have made. Us. We are his image bearers. We are made to represent his likeness. Of course, we've done this quite badly. Because unlike him, the reality on which our image is based, we are not completely holy. We are not persistently faithful. We are not fully devoted. We're prone to trusting in other things and to worshiping other gods. And so the one that we are to image had to become an image bearer himself. Yahweh took on human flesh and became the God-man, Jesus. See, Jesus is the perfect image bearer who lived the kind of life that we were supposed to live, one fully devoted to God and to the Father in all things and at all times, one who died the death that we deserve for all the times that we've divided our loyalty for all the times that we've looked to other gods for our purpose and our significance and our meaning and our happiness in this life. And so with Jesus in mind, today can be the day of decision for you. This challenge that Joshua has made to the 12 tribes is one that he could just as easily make to us today. Choose for yourselves this day whom it is that you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If you have never made that definitive decision, this, this definitive decision to, to truly pledge your love and loyalty to the God who's revealed to us in the Bible, this can be the day that you finally do that. This can be your day of decision. All you have to do is acknowledge that you are broken in ways that you cannot fix. Believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. And then commit to following him as your true rescuer king. Acknowledge your brokenness. Believe in Jesus. Commit to following him. Do that. And you are truly saved. Maybe there are others of you who've already made that decision, maybe recently, maybe many, many years ago. But if you're honest about it, you know that your loyalty to God remains divided. There are other things, what we've talked about as other gods today, that, that you're allowing to compromise your commitment to the one true God, to the God who became one of us. If that's you, if that describes you, this can also be your day of decision.
the day in which you renew your covenant to God, your commitment to God, and you put away, you commit to him that you will put away your old gods, your other gods, and that you'll make Jesus and only Jesus your one and true rescuer king. I'm going to ask Sarah to come and play piano for us for a few minutes. And I'm going to invite you just to to take a few minutes where you're sitting there to to reflect on on what it is that that maybe God is wanting you to hear from this text. What is the God that might be speaking to you about this morning as we've concluded this series in the book of Joshua? Are there things that, that maybe you need to be saying to him? Is there a decision that you need to make? Are there priorities in your life that need adjustment? Are there things, even good things in your life, that you've inappropriately allowed to become necessary things? Take these next just few minutes and talk to God about that. Then I'll close us in prayer. And we'll sing our closing song together. Sarah. of all things you created a world of order and beauty and potential you made us co-regents of this creation with you but we did not remain loyal to you we believe that we believe that we knew better than you how best to live in this world and in that rebellion we broke this world and everything in it and so we thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our true rescuer king Jesus, thank you for becoming one of us so that you could show us how we're supposed to live and then dying for all the ways and times where we haven't. 
we pledge our love and loyalty to you as the one who lived and died and rose again, making a way for our future resurrection as well. Holy Spirit, please continue your good work in us. Expose our false gods and our divided loyalties. Deepen our love and devotion to you and to the Father and to the Son. Transform our hearts and our minds and our hands so that we would become more and more like the image bearers you designed us to be. Make us your agents of grace and gospel in all the places that you disperse us into the world today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've made a decision this morning, I would love to hear about that, both so that I can pray with you and I can pray for you, and if you would like, so that I can help you figure out next steps. I'll be available after the service and would love to hear about it, but let's sing our closing song. Please stand and join us. <laughs>